It's six months since 16- and 17-year-olds began receiving the adult wage. At the time, it was hailed as the end of discrimination in many workplaces. But as Penny Mackay has been finding out, there are claims that in other areas, teen labour continues to be taken advantage of. It's Saturday night at Wellington's Westpac Stadium. Taking time out from watching the rugby, fans are restocking their grandstand provisions at one of the 15 food and drink outlets lining the 650 metre concourse. Each time the stadium hosts an event, hundreds of workers stream into the cake tin a couple of hours before kick-off. They don their uniforms and name badges, receive their assignments for the night and head off to prepare for the onslaught. I don't think I'm in any position to complain at the moment. I'm such a casual there, I'm quite easily replaceable. 17-year-old Cathy was introduced to working life as a casual employee of the Australian-owned Spotless Services, which has the catering contract at Westpac Stadium. I worked as a corporate box runner, which meant that I just took all the food around to the corporate boxes. Uh, I started at about 3.30 and I worked straight through till about 10.30 non-stop on my feet um, without a break and I had no idea where my supervisor was or, and being new I didn't want to ask anyone if I could get a break or anything. Cathy is not alone. She introduced me to a group of her friends, also stadium workers, who allege long hours on their feet and uneven attitudes to breaks by supervisors. What's the uh, four pack of beers worth? Twenty-two dollars. Across the country, thousands of young people are able to take advantage of the opportunities afforded by a burgeoning hospitality industry and the flexibility of modern working arrangements. The Department of Labour says early experience in work can be valuable to the young person's development, their education and their longer-term employment outcomes. Employers are able to fill their vacant roles with young people eager to get on the first rung of the employment ladder. It should be a win-win situation. And in most cases it is. But from many different arenas also come stories of young workers being taken advantage of. And they sent him to this uh, construction of a hotel in Napier and um, he worked there for a week and the company didn't pay him. After she'd graduated as an engineer, she was re-employed in the same job and only paid at the student rate. Uh, things like uh, workers in fast food restaurants uh, being burned and being warned not to report it. The way I found out that I had no job was turning up the following day with a huge sign saying, out of business. I knew nothing about it. Um, we don't know terms and conditions and all that sort of jazz. It's hard to find a job, so we're just accepting the thing. Inexperienced and bullying supervisors, pizza deliverers on independent contracts using their own cars and petrol and often not even making the minimum wage, and non- or low-paying internships which never transform into a real job. All are claimed as examples of the ongoing unfair treatment of young and naive workers. To find out why it seems to happen, I'm going to see Peter Cullen, a Wellington employment law specialist. They're seen in a different light from adult workers, so an employer would see them as uh, of lesser value because they're young and don't have the discipline of someone who's got more years behind them. 
and they would probably see themselves as being generous, giving them work, and uh, the young people would behave more like people who are in a uh, relationship with a parent do, I suppose. So it's a bit trusting, it's a bit informal, and uh, it, in the employer's eyes is probably worth less than uh, having someone who's 10 years older. Until a few weeks ago, unless an employee had a contract specifically noting them, a company was not legally compelled to give its employees any rest or meal breaks. In the third reading of the very bill that actually makes that, uh, brings that into law, and in fact makes it compulsory for workplaces to recognise that workers have the legal right Labour MP Sue Maroney, during the final debate on legislation, giving all workers a paid 10-minute rest break every two to four hours, a paid 10-minute rest break and a 30-minute unpaid meal break every four to six hours, or two 10-minute rest breaks and one 30-minute meal break every six to eight hours. Two days prior to the passing of the new law, leading health and occupational safety researchers met at Massey to discuss initiatives for small businesses. One of them, Dr Felicity Lamb from AUT, explains the importance of the work break. Under our present legislation they can work all hours God sends. They can work 24 hours a day without a break. And you find invariably that fatigue is a major cause of accidents. Anecdotally, you'll find that the road accidents is against a backdrop of people working long and hard, often trying to hold down several jobs, trying to fulfil their educational needs, and fatigue is, is a major cause. A huge number of young people work on a casual basis, which suits both employers who need their workers to be flexible and employees who can fit the job around study. And it's in the nature of casual work that hours and days vary, particularly in the fast food and hospitality sectors. But the Department of Labor says the lack of guaranteed hours and the flexibility implicit in such arrangements can also be open to abuse. They would write hours on a timesheet at the beginning of each week. 18-year-old Charlie worked for a fast food restaurant for four months at the end of last year. You'd know that if you had annoyed them in some way, you would get less hours the next week, and you'd see it on that timesheet, and that's how they kept you in line. They had heaps of people and not enough hours, and everyone was fighting for hours. Did you ever take up with them that the conditions were unfair? Well, no, because, I mean, if you complained about it, they'd be like, OK, that's, that's fine. We've got heaps of people who can replace you if you don't want to work. Mike Treen, National Director of Unite, the union that led the Super Size My Pay campaign to do away with the youth wage and increase the minimum wage, says reducing and increasing hours at the whim of the employer is not uncommon. You leave all of your staff on a no fixed hours contract, it means that you can discipline them or if you just get annoyed with them, you don't like their attitude or whatever it is, you just cut their hours. They don't have a hearing, you don't go through any proper processes and there's very little we can do to protect them. Some casuals, including young workers, have been employed by the same company for years. They're sometimes known as permanent casuals, as Mike Treen explains. In many industries, they have their permanent employees, but with no fixed hours. So the employers get the benefit, in a sense, of a casual status without necessarily being on a daily engagement. Casual, strictly, casual should be a daily engaged worker. So you have a, it's sort of a daily contract. 
Uh, these people aren't casuals in that sense. They have a permanent, ongoing employment contract with the employer. It's just that they have no fixed hours of work. The only way for an employee to sort out whether they are a genuine casual or, in fact, permanent part-time is to go to the Employment Relations Authority, and that's expensive and it takes time. But last month, a new bill was introduced to Parliament to enable labour inspectors to quickly sort out if someone is a genuinely casual worker or if they are, in fact, permanent part-time. Good morning, Trevor Mallard's office. The Minister of Labour explains a test to decide which is which. The big test really uh, as to whether someone's a casual or not goes to uh, whether they have choice. Um, if, if someone can say, no, I don't want to come to work today, um, you know, I'm, I'm available again next week, then they're a casual. Uh, if the employer snaps his or her finger and they've got to come, uh, then it's more likely that they're actually permanent employees. The new bill has now been held up by the elections, but young people in permanent roles have also run into difficulties, including 17-year-old supermarket cold store worker Mark. I applied for a sick day or two when I had um, quite a bad chest infection and I was not allowed to take these days off and forced to work, really. Why couldn't you have that time off? Because apparently there was nobody else who could do my job. And did you think that, that was reasonable? Not particularly, no. So why did you work it? Because otherwise I'd lose my job, probably. I started to really not want to go to work because... Despite not receiving a written agreement, initially no idea of wages, no holiday pay and no real idea of conditions, 20-year-old Alice was delighted to be offered a job as a full-time shop assistant in a Wellington confectioner's last November. But with no proper instructions as to her duties, she soon felt she was walking across a minefield. I felt like I was supposed to be a mind reader, that I was told off of things I had no idea of. And... It was just quite unpleasant, really. And of course, when you're in that atmosphere, you don't want to go to work, you're nervous, you can't. And when you're with that person, you make even more mistakes. And then six months after she began, Alice was given her marching orders. And I was kind of like thinking, why the hell am I being fired? But I just sat there smiling, kind of being like, kind of relieved in a way. But also kind of like, shouldn't I have gotten warnings or something? And she said the most ridiculous things like, like you're just not the all-rounder we're looking for. But I thought I was doing well. I mean, I know that sounds lame, but I sold hundreds of dollars worth of the product sometimes, and I had customers who would, you know, come in and say, like, oh my gosh, you're leaving? Why? Alice, now a full-time university student, found the whole episode so humiliating she agreed to tell her story only on condition I did not approach her employer. It has to be acknowledged, therefore, that this is just one side of the story. Good morning. I'm Penny Mackay from Radio New Zealand. I'm here to see Helen Kelly. I'll see if she's available for you. Thank you. There's some belief that teen workers knowing their rights, perhaps being taught them in school, would do away with the sort of situation Alice experienced. But Helen Kelly, president of the Council of Trade Unions, says standing up for your rights alone can be a fearful prospect. 
If they walk into the workplace and there's a collective agreement and the employer says, there's a collective agreement here, here it is, you know, this is how you access it, this is how you contact the union, that for a young person is easy because it is already established and all of those conditions are set out there and there's likely then in that workplace to be delegates and to be all sorts of work rights complied with because there is a collective and all of the workers together are exercising their rights. So really... Um, I, get, I don't see the, the answer being young people knowing their individual rights. I see the answer being young people having access to collective rights in a very easy way. There can be problems with individual young workers asserting their rights or joining a union, as was highlighted recently by the case of a Kayapoi fast food worker. The Employment Relations Authority has granted a former McDonald's employee $15,000 in compensation, saying she was constructively dismissed after joining a union. The authority Chantal Coop says when she refused to resign from the Unite Union, she was bullied and had her hours cut. McDonald's New Zealand originally said franchisees would be reminded of the good procedures the company has in place to deal with union members. But since then, it's announced it'll be appealing the Employment Relations Authority's decision. Here's the employer group saying that it's costing them too much they want to get rid of Over a coffee in downtown Wellington, John Ryle, the National Secretary of the Service and Food Workers Union, told me the current free access of union officials to work sites is essential to support young workers' rights. Normally, what changes the dynamic in a workplace? As far as the enforcement of any right, there's if someone turns up representing the worker who has got the right to be there, has got the right to talk to the employer and has got the right to talk to other workers. Because normally what employers will do, if one worker brings up an issue about their rights, they, if they're a good employer they'll accept it and they'll talk to them, if they're a bad employer they'll ignore it. But when a union official turns up and there's three or four workers who are suddenly raising the same issue, they'll sit down and want to talk about it. But if the National Party comes to power in a few weeks, unions will be required to seek employers' consent to have access to work sites. Unite's Mike Treen and John Ryle say that would make unionising young workers much more difficult. We've specifically but the National Party's spokesperson on industrial relations, Kate Wilkinson, says the employer cannot withhold permission unreasonably and the unions are overreacting. At the end of the day, it is the employer's workplace. They do have health and safety obligations. There might be reasons of confidentiality, which are valid reasons why um, access at one particular time might not be permitted. The unions say that it may end up in a lot of court cases with them trying to prove that in fact the employer was withholding permission unreasonably and the employer saying that they were withholding permission reasonably. Can you see that as a future? Well, the intention is certainly not to have more cases held up in the court system. The test of reasonableness is an objective one, not a subjective one. And really we think that because of the special nature of an employment relationship there should be some room for common sense. John Ryle wants the hospitality sector to voluntarily set standards for worker conditions rather than waiting, as he sees it, to always be made to do it by legislation. He says the industry is hobbling itself by not valuing its young workers. What worries me about the development of these large sectors like hospitality that unless we actually sit down and actually focus on how we can create good jobs in these sectors, then we're really giving them away. And we're saying large sectors of our economy are always going to be low paid, 
they're always going to be shitty places to work and as far as work rights are concerned. And they're going to condemn a whole lot of people who are going to earn their living in this sector on a permanent basis to uh, not very good lives. But in what seems like the tale of two sectors, the chief executive of the Hospitality Association, Bruce Robertson, says the industry is generally doing just fine. From time to time we assist members who have problems with their staff in terms of discipline and so on. Sometimes our members get it wrong in terms of their relationship and, and don't do it right and we assist them to try and get it right. Uh, so the, the sector's not perfect, but to suggest that there's a widespread problem here is simply not correct. And Bruce Robertson says young people, contrary to being vulnerable and naive, don't put up with their labour being abused and just clear out. Young people today simply walk. Uh, it's our experience that they don't tolerate uh, situations which they feel uncomfortable in, where they feel that they're being abused, and they're gone tomorrow. They just don't turn up the next day. They are far more demanding that than perhaps former generations in terms of what they expect from their, their employer. Uh, so I don't really think we need a lot of legislative protection for them. A point supported by David Lowe, the Manager of Advisory Services for the Employers and Manufacturers Association. By their very nature, you know, young people are risky people to hire. Uh, you know, they, now for the same reason that uh, teenagers can be a bit tricky at home, they can also be a bit tricky at work and uh, and so they're looking for a chance and uh, those employers who give them a chance uh, I don't think you can say that they are being exploited by doing that. You say that they're risky to hire why would employers hire them then? Well um, employers are decent people like everyone else and most employers have got teenagers at home um, and they know that um, in the future that someone's got to give these people a chance and uh, so that's, uh, uh, that's really what uh, does uh, tend to happen. And David Lowe says allegations of the abuse of young people's labour, particularly in the media, should be treated with caution. Never have I uh, heard them say, oh, and we asked the employer to get their side of the story. And we all have teenagers at home. We all know what they're like. Um, and it's not to say that there's anything wrong with what's being said, but there will be another side to the story. And I think until you get that, you can't simply say, oh, um, everything, um, you know, that they've been treated very badly and all this shouldn't happen because the other side of the story hasn't been heard. So I talked to Spotless Services about the alleged lack of breaks for its Westpac Stadium workers. Wendy Field, the Managing Director's representative, says the company has received only one complaint in the last few years. She acknowledges Spotless Employment Agreements contain no mention of breaks, nor is there any record of them in the induction notes of many of the current workers. Despite this, Ms Field insists it's Spotless policy for employees to have rest and meal breaks. Certainly the policy is for a 10-minute break, uh, for a four- to five-hour shift, and then if it's a day-long event, half-hour mm. for longer shifts. The induction papers I'm looking at is for a current employee who, to all intents and purposes, doesn't know that she's entitled to a break. So it just seems to me as if there isn't a particular importance placed on breaks by Spotless. Uh, there definitely is, and in fact, um, even though it hasn't been legislation, all of our collective agreements have a break clause and a requirement for a minimum break clause within them, and that's been negotiated by us. But you see, these people aren't on a collective contract, they're all on individual ones. 
No, that's right, and certainly for the for the policy for for those particular individuals as well is still to have the ten minute break within a short shift or a half hour if it's a longer. So where do you think the communication breakdown is happening? Yes, we definitely are concerned about it, um, and I think that uh, it's certainly something that we are reviewing again now that it's been raised. But we've only um, we encourage people to come forward. We've only had, as I say, the one complaint. So if young workers would rather not put their hands up to complain, doesn't that mean they're not that troubled? He cried when he had to climb the dark flues, rubbing his poor knees and elbows raw. And when the soot got into his eyes, which it did every day in the week. We don't send young people down mines or up chimneys anymore, unlike Tom the Chimney Sweep in that 1863 fairy tale, The Water Babies. But the Department of Labour says its survey of Taranaki College students, released earlier in the year, indicates young people are particularly vulnerable to injury. Only 21% of the respondents said they'd studied health and safety at school. And that's again an important... The survey found that 20% of the teens had been injured in their part-time jobs. Latest ACC figures show that across the entire workforce, 126 people are injured for every 1,000 workers, or 12.6%. Mike Munnerley, the manager for workplace services for the Department of Labour Central Region, says the survey was also able to give them a few clues as to why young people are particularly prone to injury in the workplace. It's telling us that actually um, there's a particular vulnerability for young people in work. It's pointing us to probably three issues, I think, that people need to think about. One is there's a sheer physical issue of matching a young person to the job they require to do. We sometimes forget that. There's a kind of psychological component, which is um, young people's expectations that they want to meet the expectations of their peer group, so they're reluctant to say, I'm not sure that's a safe thing to do. They want to have a go. They're in work, earning money. They want to do their best. So they will. And then there's a kind of, I guess what I might call a sociological component, which is about the inherent vulnerability of being a young person. Um, it's difficult to challenge adults, difficult to challenge your boss, as one of those young people says in the survey when asked why he didn't refuse to go and do a piece of work he thought was unsafe, said, well, because it was me dad. The survey also found that having been informed of an incident, only a third of employers did something to prevent it happening again. Mike Munnerly thinks that's because of the way employers regard their young workers. I think it might be something to do with the perception that we have of young people. Slightly lesser beings, and I don't mean that in any kind of malevolent way, but they're young people, perhaps they're only here for part-time work, perhaps it's something that people think is probably less important, it's part of the growing up process. Um, this is what young people need to learn in order to adapt to the world of work. While one might understand that perception, it's important to emphasise to employers their duties to young people as workers. You gotta know your rights if you wanna be safe Angel Rosier singing her song which won a Department of Labour competition, part of a novel campaign to get the health and safety message across to young workers. Let's work safe. I uh, put them in a position where they don't want to um, really complain or speak out. 
because they're not really Dr Ian Laird from Massey University's Centre for Ergonomics and Occupational Safety and Health says research over the last 20 years shows workers 15 to 25 have one of the highest work-related fatal injury rates across all industries. I, I believe that certainly induction, uh, induction training and just uh, supervision for new employees um, isn't as good as it should be in, in probably most industries. The intent and the willingness is there, but actually um, the quality of training and supervision for young people um, probably needs to improve dramatically. Mike Munnerley also says properly training young people in workplace safety has a long-term as well as immediate benefit. Too much of our focus sometimes can be on the back end. We're dealing with adult workers and workplace accidents. If you can get in at the early stage with young people going into work, develop good sound knowledge of health and safety practice, prepare them well for the world of work, have their first work experience which provides them with that kind of um, structure and support and information to manage it. In the long run, that's better for them, it's better for business, and it's better for New Zealand. You got rights as much as the rest of us, but think smart, there's so much you can't trust. Learn more from the Department of Labor, because what you discover might just save you. You gotta consider protection of your... Many people believe that as the recession bites, things will get more difficult for young people at work. Others feel that with the minimum wage entitlement and the recent breaks legislation, things are getting better for them. But from Helen Kelly of the CTU to Bruce Robertson of the Hospitality Association, both sides of the issue agree that businesses cannot prosper if they have unhappy employees. That program was written and presented by Penny Mackay. Technical production was by Leanne Smith and executive production was by Philippa Tolley.